Welcome to JDM Imported. Welcome back, episode 15 of the JDM Imported Podcast. Uh, appreciate the listen. Thanks for spending some time with me. Uh, for those that are new, I'm Dante Prinzo, owner-operator of Elusive Auto Co., importer of uh, fine Japanese classics, uh, as well as Elusive Auto Shine, my detailing business. As business owners need to do, you have to offer more than just one service, uh, and uh, hopefully, as I'm studying currently, a uh, licensed broker. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and I'm putting it out there. Listen, I'm telling you guys, I think I mentioned this in the last episode, but uh, I'm putting you on notice because you like to call me out and I like that. I want to be held accountable always. My goal setting from day one with this podcast was creating a, a tight community of depth. And I'm more interested in depth than numbers, right? Uh, as my mantra with the business fans not customers rather have 10 fans and 100 customers i never see again hands down all day so uh so that being said uh first off i'm gonna call some people out no names but thanks for calling me out i always say in this podcast i am clear that i always respond to dms to emails to phone calls well guess what i missed a couple i did two to be precise i've missed two dms that i missed and, uh, and, and they called me out on it, and I appreciate that because sometimes I'll miss it. And listen, if I'm going to talk about it, I have to be about it. That, that's it. So in an interest of calling out, the reason I'm uh, letting you know about this customs broker license exam uh, is because th there's a slim chance that I'm going to pass it on the first try. So uh, the current average is in the single digits. I believe it's 7% of people taking this test uh, make it on the first try. And uh, I'm not a good test taker. I'm not a good studier. But this is a little different. This is, uh, I like a challenge, especially at this point in my life. You know, so I like to be uncomfortable. This is wildly uncomfortable. It's over 5,000 pages of reference material. It's ridiculous. Um, it's hours each day uh, that I'm putting in on this and some full days on the weekend to get ready for the test end of April. So uh, I want to talk in more detail about that, kind of where the business is going as per usual, the business updates. I'll give uh, kind of a quick update on where things are now, where things are going with this test and then what that means moving forward because I'm not just taking this for my health. It's expensive and time consuming. There's a reason for this that I think can change uh, my game, maybe the game a little bit as far as service uh, for importing and importers. Um, and I want to talk about the 25-year rule. I'm sure the vast majority of you out there listening to this know about it, so I'm not going to go over in detail really too much of what it is. Case in point, just real short, 25 years is how old the car needs to be uh, to be imported federally legal uh, to register in the United States. Um, and I'm going to get into some more nuances there, but most importantly, uh, why that rule's in place. Because it's a bit of a job. It's frustrating uh, for, for those of us in the States. We kind of envy Canada because they only have to wait 15 years 
So, I mean, they've had R34s. We are still years away from such things. S15s they have. Um, so really what prompted this? And it's gonna frustrate you. It frustrates me. But um, we're gonna talk about that and then, uh, and then you know, wrap a little bit about uh, some JDM cars and some things that I've been tracking uh, as, as per usual, you know, in the auctions and, and what seems to be picking up steam. Uh, usual suspects, but you know, some other things too that uh, yeah, maybe you're not thinking of. I don't know. But so let's get into it. Let's let's start chatting about the business. So, uh, as you know, you know, I've been offering uh, detailing services because once I have a brick and mortar, uh, I'm going to do a lot of those fine detailing services out of it uh, in a controlled environment because, you know, if you're offering things and I know there's just a lot of buzz out there with like coatings and paint correction. And I feel like anyone that knows that word says they can do it. Uh, these things take a lot of skill, a lot of time and talent. I think I'm decent at it, but there's still a lot to learn. So I'm not going to sit here and say I'm some professional expert. Uh, I would consider myself a professional, but, uh, I, really with detailing with these fine details you should uh you should always be learning and it's it's kind of like learning a language no one ever really masters it like i've been speaking english my whole life i could speak it better i've never mastered it i don't know all of the words it's it's kind of like grabbing infinity right so uh so yeah i i mean so that's that's been that's been going well it's been keeping me busy and i think uh, i think things are getting kind of lined up that uh when I roll out that service, uh, I'll have a really clear cut uh, outline of what I want to be doing and, and what's going to make it successful. Because, I mean, what I've been finding and, uh, you know, maybe some of you can speak to this and, and maybe share experiences. It's um, as with anything in business, it's just it's straight up communication. It's it's getting somebody to see value in, in what you do. You know, I'm not going to offer the one hundred and fifty dollars special. Uh, because that's just not, that's not what I want to do. It's a fine business and there's a huge market for it. I mean, honestly, if you're getting into it, I think that's where you need to live because there's always going to be a ton of people that have that, you know, uh, a wedding to go to. They've never had a car detailed or, uh, an event or like a really bad mess. A kid spilled some pop in the back, soda, whatever, uh, coffee stains, like, you know, kind of this one-time use, like the people that I ask and they're like, yeah, I've never had it done before. Just like it got really bad or, or else I want to get it detailed to sell it. And again, that's a fine market, but that's, uh, I need to stay true to what I want to develop in a business. And that is repeat and, and really provide value, uh, above and beyond just a service. You know, we can all provide a service. Anyone can, like I've said before, anyone could do some research, find out how to bring a car in and sell it. You know, anybody can buy a bucket and some soaps and clean a car, but do you do it efficiently without being overly abrasive, without wearing a car down? Uh, it, it's, there's so many layers and levels to everything we do in business. It's not even just this industry, but it's, but there's pockets for everyone. There's pockets for, for those that do the discounts, you know, high volume, uh, low return that's fine, you know? And then there's, there's, there's definitely pockets for specialists, which is where I, to work with who I am, I think that's where I need to live. That's the type of person I am. Relationships, repeat, quality, uh, not just like how fast can I get things done? And this, you know, this kind of topic kind of spawned off detailing, but it, it goes into the cars the same way. You know, when I bring a car in for it that I've imported, 
you know, the way I look over it is the way I would look over something I would want to drive. And, uh, and then just being really transparent with people. And that, I think that's how you get people back. I mean, listen, I honestly, I have a sales background, you know, I mean, in recruiting, uh, man, I sold some of the hardest products to sell and that's human beings selling a skill set in a person with all the variables of like location of pay of uh scope of work you know title what gets them interesting there's all these things and then hiring companies that you know maybe don't know what they need or want or uh don't want to pay for it but want you know setting expectations there like that was the hardest thing to close on was like do you want this job do you want to hire someone it was you know, which I think shaped me perfectly for anything else that I do thereafter, and especially this business that I've made the jump into from the corporate world. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, without getting too long winded, I mean, that's just, uh, that's, that's my model. And I think that's, that's playing with my strengths, you know, and I think, and maybe this is a good lesson. Again, I like to share in case maybe you're going through it thinking of like a career change or you're thinking about starting a business. It's um, the important factors are not working against, not trying to work a model into who you want to be. And I think we easily fall into that because you see feeds and tweets and like constant updates of maybe things that you want to be, you know, like maybe you want to get into like importing parts but you don't like dealing with people and selling uh, you know but it looks like you want to get into it you want to be that person but if that's not you like just don't force it because this is something that you that you have to not only be passionate about you have to be good at it being good is way more important than passion i think it's overrated i've said it before in the past i think passion is totally overrated hobbies are for passion you know doing work uh being fulfilled with work comes from success success comes from skills and ability and that's just it and it's hard it was it, it's hard for me for years to get that and i think it's hard for a lot of people you know when i have conversations with uh with those of you out there that uh, they're looking to get in the game looking to get in the business um as i said the more the merrier come on in but uh but i want to see people succeed because if you succeed I succeed. It grows a proper market share. It grows consumers out there that you're educating on your business that if they turn into my customers down the road, they've had a good experience. You know, like say I have the car that they want, you don't, but they talk to you and they're like, okay, these importer people are, they're okay chaps. You know, they're not bad. They're not as shady and dodgy as I thought, you know? That's why I share all this. You know, that's why it's important. You know, because there's, uh, listen, there's enough bad press and stuff of companies that have been uh, fined, shut down for, for bringing in gray market, illegal stuff. And, um, you know, it's, uh, and, and I think a lot of that just comes from, from people maybe stretching as to who they are, you know, or maybe getting into things for the wrong reason, maybe getting in for the buck rather than for the long term, you know, thinking like, hey, this is a bit of a wave. Let me make sure I'm riding it hard as opposed to, oh, this is like a long-term play. You know, this is something like 10, 15 years I wanna be doing, so I'd rather a slow, steady burn so I'm still here, rather than a flash and I'm out, you know, rolling the dice. So I, um, yeah, I mean, food for thought. Let me know what you think. I mean, if you think I'm full of shit, let me know. You know, if you're like, oh, I disagree, I think you need to be passionate, but I just think, I just think a lot of success come, 
a lot of success comes with self-realization and uh and i think that's step one before you even get out you know do you do you do you like to deal with uh you know technical stuff and, and taxes and filing and all that with uh and listen you can pay someone to do everything for a company but starting out and all realistically unless you have a ton of money you got to learn these things yourself and quite honestly like what i found is it's best to have these skills so you hire the right person to do your books or to do your seo or whatever it may be for business i mean you can just straight hemorrhage money you know with its uh you know social media management seo website development you know accountant uh booking software uh financial software Yelp ads, Google ads. I mean, it's just like, and then products in space and I mean, just layers on light. Like you'd spend so much. So that's why I, it might not be the most efficient, but I like to take time to understand everything and kind of know everything that's, co that's going into my business. So when I do get to the point where, yeah, maybe I have some cash flow that's free that, uh, I don't really need to grow the business, you know, just kind of some extra on top, then yeah, like I'll hire someone and delegate some more stuff out, but at least then I will know the questions to ask to get the appropriate person in place. So I know if I need them or not, which brings me to another topic. So I'm studying for the customs, uh, the broker license for my broker, US customs broker license, whatever you want to phrase it as. Uh, I decided to do this as with many things, I kind of let uh, how things go in, in my career and life, whatever it may be, to kind of dictate my flow, right? I think of myself as a, as a body of water and there's no, you know, there's no dams built in my life. You know, when these things come up, they just kind of redirect, kind of like a creek, you know, for water runoff, for you civil engineers, whatever, you know, you just kind of direct the water where it needs to go. It has to have fall up high to down low and you kind of direct it to the path of least resistance and I, I i view myself as that so you know i was bringing in a car for somebody and um there's two shipping companies uh main shipping companies that you're going to use from japan to the united states wwl and hogue well uh wwl was the one i used predominantly they were the easiest to work with and they changed they changed one of their um their policies that they only will deal with licensed brokers. So someone like me or an importer, even if you're a registered importer, you can no longer submit uh, your documents in person. Now, uh, and you also can't submit uh, electronically. Electronically is reserved for somebody uh, that holds their current broker license. And in most cases has a local permit and a national permit. It's a whole thing, which I can get into. And I, you know, I'm gonna try to keep it not, a little interesting but I think it's it's good to know like if you're into like Japanese vehicles and importing it's kind of it's, it's good for you to know what goes into it you know because it's um because the brokers you know they um they hold the bond you know they have to go through uh this extensive studying uh they pay a lot of money to uphold their license it's really it's there's don't quote me on this I feel like I read that there's 1200 uh licensed brokers in the United States and that's not a lot you know in this pass rate in the single digits is the lowest for you know uh a, a licensing exam and, and even you know that's taken into effect of the bar and uh medical boards 
That being said, I think it's skewed because anyone can take this test. And if you go in ill-prepared, like you're never going to pass. And sometimes I think since it is open book, I'm sure you get the a lot of people that say, oh, I'll just buy the books, go in there and, you know, whatever. It's four and a half hours, 80 questions. I'll be able to knock it out. Well, that's giving you a little over three minutes per question. It takes longer than that to find anything. So if you don't know where to look in what book, there's 5,000 pa 5, pages to search through. Like, so if you don't know, I'm putting in 150 to 180 hours of studying, which isn't that crazy, you know, considering, uh, you know, college programs, things like that. It's not that bad for the certification, but, uh, like I said, I, th I think the number is skewed because you just have a lot of ill-prepared people. That's why it's such a low percentage. But that being said, the time is the biggest factor and, uh, and it's going to be tough. But I think it's worth it because really my point with all of this is after that change, I think, okay, another company changes that and my profit margins are going to get cut into even more. And on top of that, my consulting service, I think I, it provides value now. Like I think it's it's worth it you know, to, to use me to have you, uh, to guide you through the process. Really, it's worth it just for the access, just because um, the guy that I have that looks at the cars, I mean, it's live bidding, which a lot of uh, online services don't offer, or if they do, it's just not accurate enough, timing-wise. Live bidding on cars, you know, 20 plus pictures, top, undercarriage, everything like that, engine startup, you know, uh, it includes uh, transport to the port, which companies charge extra for, uh, translations of documents, so auction reports, some charge like $20 each report. You might look at 15 cars, it adds up quickly. All of that stuff is included, there's no extra fees. Uh, so I think it's worth it. So I think like my service now has value. But when I think of the shipping change and how can I add more value and kind of separate myself because this is kind of another business lesson without getting on too much of a tangent, how to separate myself from the others that do it. Because there's a lot of importers and, you know, I was told from a wise man, from actually my father, owned his own business from a young age, not to reinvent the wheel, but just to make it better or offer it in a different way. Meaning, I'm not the first person, I won't be the last, and I'm not the only person importing cars right? Or detailing or whatever. I mean, unless you're an inventor, chances are someone else is doing what you're doing. But to run a successful business, it's identifying a good market with an established business plan and seeing, evaluating what you can offer in addition or different to make yourself, to separate yourself. I don't want to say better, but just to separate yourself. So I see this is how people do it. This is a market that's real. I think it's a long-term thing. And it can go in so many different directions, Japanese, European, you know, classics and when I antiques, I should say classics. I mean, you know, aside from the, the pending market crash in three to five years that people are all predicting, you know, I'm sure things will slow down, but that's why you diversify. You offer some other things. Maybe you can import other goods and things like that, or maybe some cheaper cars for people, you know, if they're not spending 40 grand on skylines at that time, whatever it is. But, um, you know, evaluating what business it is and how you can separate yourself. And, and this is my separation. And that's, that's what kind of put me over the edge. Cause I'm like, man, you know, I have to buy coursework, uh, the books, 
It's, you know, 400 bucks to sign up for the test each time, you know, 200 to register with the port, 100 permit fees, nickel, dime, nickel, dime. Before you know it, I mean, you're like $1,500, $1,800 into this. So I'm like, uh, that's not awful, right? I mean, it's a lot of money, but, you know, you can spend more on tools pretty quickly if you're a mechanic. But I see the value in, one, diversifying the business, because like I've said, Selling cars, that's one thing. Offering service on those cars, that's another. Detailing, that's another. And I think import brokering is gonna be my fourth. I want a four-leg table so that if the market changes, which it will, things are cyclical, you know, and it's, and it's really what I'm finding now, it's um, whoever can hold their breath, whoever can hang on the longest through tough times is usually who wins. You know, and I think the best chance you have to hold your breath is to have some other things to do. You know, if I'm just selling cars and something happens with the market down the road or people just aren't buying secondary fun cars and that's my only leg, I'm on the ground. I got nothing else. You know, you still have a square table with three legs, you know, and who? maybe you can even balance it on two. I don't know. You know, try it with your coffee table. But but that's the goal, and that's what push push me over the edge to take uh, take this on when really I don't have the time or money to do so right now. But it's, um, I mean, it's it's now or never. What I'm going to wait until I open the doors. I'm really not going to have the time, you know. So I'm making time now at night each night, you know. Taking uh, I hate taking family time away, but again, long term, it's worth it. You know, if in the short term, some weekends I'm just a little checked out on the computer, it, that's just how it has to be so that this thing can really work long term, which is the goal. And and I think, like I said, the consulting service, it'll add that next layer. So now instead of referring, and again, another thing that prompted it is the company I refer to, I just don't like how they communicate. And they're one of the best ones I found. But whenever someone brings a car in, I communicate, I, I send them to, the, to this broker that I know and they're one of the least expensive um, that, that still, I don't want to say, like I didn't pick them because they're the least expensive because there's, uh, I, I picked them because it was kind of a balance of costs because some really charge a ton, especially if they're not familiar with it because there's it's, it's such especially regarding goods. I mean, there's a 3,700 page uh, uh, harmonized tariff book that has basically every good ever invented categorized in it and some people know different sections better than others so if you deal with a broker that's never done a car like they might charge you more just because they're like man now i gotta like figure out what code what reference blah 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 um but so i use this company but i don't like how they communicate they just they don't do things the way i would and again this comes over to control thing good bad or indifferent it's just my driving force is i need to have some control over it because i'm putting my stamp on it i want someone to give me a good review have a good experience and they're less likely to do so if the things that are out of my hands don't go smoothly so the things out of my hands are like you know, hey, so here you go. They're going to clear your car. They're going to submit all the documents. And then they don't follow up with emails. They say, I'll get back to you Tuesday. They get back on Thursday. Uh, you have customers that are calling me and they're like, what's going on? Like, I'm a little nervous. I'm worried because you should be. It's the first time you've done this. You have a lot of money tied up and you haven't seen anything for it yet. It is the supreme sight unseen purchase you'll ever make, you know. And I could make a whole nother episode just on the like the psychology of it. You know, to kind of wrap your head around uh, buying a car, sending money over the ocean 
and then waiting a month to ever see what you actually bought and what you're actually getting into. It's, it's a leap of faith, and that's why I think it's a model to be had to bring cars in for people, but to also have inventory, because it's worth it to some to pay more for that inventory that's here, because it's just here. When they want it, they can have it, and they know exactly what they're getting, and all risk mitigation, for the most part, has been eliminated. Uh, and I always say for the most part, because they're old cars. It could be great today, it could be nonsense tomorrow. You know, it could blow up. I mean, let's be real. But anyways, I digress. So um, so yeah, in the service, this, um, th this brokerage license will allow me to do everything for everyone. You will not have to deal with anyone else. So it's bidding on the car looking at the auctions, uh, deciphering all that stuff, getting translations, winning the car, export, importing it, legalizing it. Uh, and, then, and then you'd have me on top of that, kind of another layer, this was something that a broker would not offer, is on the state level, like, get it registered. You know, it's like not just submitting, getting it cleared, pick it up from port, but I mean, coordinating logistics, getting it registered. I wanna be able to offer a full, like complete service. and. I don't know, call me out, call me out if I'm wrong, but I don't know of any company that has an uh, importer of vehicles that has a licensed broker on staff. Uh, I can almost guarantee it because it's such a pain to do. And it's, it's, it's a separate, like people do this for a career, not just like an addition to a business. That's why, that's why maybe I'm a little ridiculous. I don't know, maybe I've lost my, lost my marbles uh, that I'm even <laughs> partaking in this because this is like a career path for people and this is just gonna be one of four legs for my business to stand on. But uh, I mean, who knows, maybe it could, you know, I'm registered with the port so I'll probably be clearing goods just by default uh, because people look up you know their local broker and there's again only 1200 of us in the country so uh, I'm saying that like I already passed it I could go through all this and th this is the leap of faith thing I could go through all this and take the test once twice three times and be like oh my this is too much money <laughs> I'm just blowing money and this just isn't for me uh, that happens you know I've talked to people that have gone through it and a lot say that people fail twice and they don't even come close and they just stop but that's why I'm putting myself on notice because I know you'll call me out and I'm not just gonna sit here and talk about the good things. I'm not gonna wait until the end of April and be like, hey guys, guess what? Guess what I've been up to? I passed the test, easy breezy. No, I'm gonna, you know, yay, I either passed it or like March 1st when I get the results or whatever, just be like, uh, yeah, I failed it miserably. I tried hard and I sucked at it and I'm gonna keep on digging because that's the name of this. That's the goal, right? I wanna share everything that's going on with my life with this business, uh, you know, so hopefully you can learn something or maybe it's just an entertaining uh, listen, you know, maybe you, maybe you want to see me succeed or see me fail. Either way, if you're listening, it, it's all good. So uh, I'm excited about this. I'm, I'm ramped up like so far my energy is good for it. Uh, I, I'm, I hope that I don't get burnt out. I usually don't on things. Uh, again, this is against my natural grain. I'm not a studier and a book guy, but this is a uh, this is, this is potentially very big. And I think, like I said, if, if this is the key that separates me uh, to offer what I want to offer, this level of service that I demand out of this business, then I'd be a fool to just contract this out to somebody and to pay you know four or $500 each time I wanna bring a car into somebody uh, when it's something I can be doing and doing it in a manner in which people deserve it, you know? So yeah, I mean, in the future, I mean, there's there's gonna be, like right now, yes, I can still consult, give you all that access, bring a car in for you, 
Um, again, I'm not going to have much inventory until we do the move to Pittsburgh. But um, yeah, I mean, really, I think, and I'd like to hear your feedback, like what's, what you're more likely to do. I've talked to a lot of you who are going to be in the market in the next year, maybe two years, and just kind of gathering information. Like what would you be more likely to do? Spend more for something that's uh, that you can touch, it's tangible, it's here, you can drive it home the same day, or uh, spend a little less and pick the car you exactly want. So, and just a quick pros and cons list to both of those. Uh, I can't be clear enough that no matter how well I look cars over, have them looked over, startups, there's inevitably a surprise or two. And you just gotta know that when you're buying. So. Like anything else, sometimes getting the refurbished computer, you can save a little bit, but is it worth it? Eh, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Same thing with a car. You might be able to save a bit, but there could be, you know, you might get it on the highway and then all of a sudden the clutch is slipping. No way to know that because we can't test drive them and drive them around the auction yard. Technically not supposed to really start them up, although we do, anything that you see in person. Uh, and most of the auction reports are pretty thorough if there's any engine noise, but you can't really rev them. You can't let them idle for 15 minutes and get to operating temperature because some are in garages. I mean, they're sandwiched in there, tens of thousands of cars, a lot of people, you can understand. You can't just be starting up and revving cars all over. I mean, the pollution alone, I mean, there'd be like a gray cloud over these auctions. So uh, yeah, I mean, there's always a leap of faith buying some, but you get, ex you, you know the color, you get to pick out all, you get to pick out the, car you want which that's exciting and it's like ordering that package that you know we've all been there you order the car parts the wheels suspension and it's like you can't like you will leave work to come home and unbox those wheels like you get so excited you know and think of that with like a car that's came on a boat from another country for a month that someone else in another country speaking another language drove that has like a history that's like romantic nostalgic like it's it's awesome like it's a cool experience going through that but not for everyone because you still don't know what you're getting into until you see the car and it's already yours you've paid for it it's yours um so if but if you're that type of person uh that wants to go through the experience that that is specific about what they want then yeah, it's a great option, great option, you know? And it can save you a little money. It, it's not a ton, but it'll save you some money for sure, you know? Uh, or are you the type that would prefer to get something out of stock, that would prefer that something's been imported, uh, that you know it's been driven, looked over, checked over, you know, when the oils, uh, all the fluid, all that stuff was done, changed, that it's been cleaned up, uh, you, you know, that, that you have more data on, more stuff, and you also know that you have the title that's easy that's ready to be transferred to your state and there's really there's no hoops there's no going to dmv and getting the state and uh the state troopers or a state inspection station to verify that it's your car uh verify the vin number there's none of that you buy it from inventory you get the title you drive it home you get the title in your name like like buying any other used car so for that and I think sometimes lose track of people lose track of how simple and nice that is and really what the value is of that. Because again, if uh, something pops up and it's to no one's fault, you know, I it's an extreme disclaimer that I take no responsibility for, you know, if that car has, I mean, you will know everything and it's your choice. You know, if there's a leak, you'll get a picture of it. 
uh, a description to the best we can of what it looks like that leak is. But if it turns out to be something else, it's like, that's on you, you know? So that's the risk you run of bringing a car in. You gotta know it, you know? And, and I'm, I, I'd like to think I'm as transparent as they come. I talk people out of stuff regularly. Uh, just like in previous episodes, I will talk people out of project cars. I think it's a bad idea for importing. Y you'll spend more and, uh, and it might get stuck. It might get put in general order. It's, it could be, it has potential for a huge nightmare, uh, more so than it has potential to work smoothly. Facts, you know? So, but yeah, so let me know what kind of person you are. And you know what? I mean, these are all things really, I'm asking you to help me because this kind of helps me gauge interest in the market and where business is going, you know? So hook a brother up. Anyways, uh, let's talk about that 25 year rule, shall we? So we all know it's 25 years, cars to be 25 years old. Uh, a slight, well, not slight, an important sidebar to note it is that that is the uh, date of manufacture because it goes down to the month. So if you do try to clear a car or someone brings a car in and says it'll be, you know, it's uh, 25 years old, like it's a 94, whatever. Well, it's a big range. It depends on the month. It's got to be to the month. Uh, customs won't release it, uh, especially if you're an individual. They won't release it. So, and the way that they find out the month is it has to be something attached to the body. So, an easy trick, especially if there's like a customs agent uh, at a port that doesn't know, uh, and a lot of times these brokers don't know because they're not through it regularly, so they don't prompt people to do so. And they might get something back from customs, turning something down, or maybe they looked at the wrong thing. Uh, so when you get the car in, it has an export certificate and it shows the first date of registration. That's just the first day it was registered. You can go to dealership by Nissan Murano that technically was made eight months ago, but was registered, you know, in February. Same thing with cars overseas. Uh, the date of manufacture could be wildly off of the actual date uh, that the um, that the export certificate says. So something to keep in mind because uh, you might be able to get cars that uh, a little before maybe other people too. And it's something I always look at, but if there's any discrepancy, uh, they can look at the body. Uh, I think it's the driver's side seatbelt on most cars, Nissan's, Toyotas and Mazdas that I know of have a tag that have the date because um, they don't really have anything in the VIN to my understanding. And, uh, and that's usually where they look. So if you ever run into issues, that's the level in which it needs to be 25 years old. So, and there's no exceptions, like there's none. So there's, yeah, there's companies absolutely that have, uh, that have found ways around it, but there is no exceptions federally. It's, you can totally title a car in Florida. Absolutely, you can have an R34 today if you'd like, but it's not federally legal. It's just not. Each state has different rules. Some states you can have rust holes through your floorboard. Other states you need to have three cats on your car. You know, I, it goes from state to state, but a federal law is a federal law. It means no difference what Utah or what New York says. It's federal. So if they do want to impound your car, they have grounds to do so. And especially it seems like, and listen, I still get a lot of questions about this. You know, well, what if I just keep it low key? That's fine. If you don't post on Instagram and take it to car shows, that's fine. I mean, listen, the chances of someone finding you out are very slim, but if the place you bought it from goes under, they have supreme right to audit that company. So customs 
every five years can audit a broker. So if that company uses a broker, I mean, this is the layers of people that have to protect you, which will not, they will not. So companies, it, listen, I'm not gonna throw any out there just because if there is some false information, but I've seen plenty of articles of companies that have been fined, closed, uh, investigated because of them selling cars that aren't federally legal in states in which they could be titled still. Uh, and, and they get caught, it's always the same way. You're dealing with a broker that's clearing your goods. That broker gets audited by Border Patrol every five years, typically. And if they keep records longer than that and they forget to throw them away, then they need detailed uh, records uh, of things past five years. I mean, listen, it's a whole level of shit here. But so if they audit and then they can look at all their records and they say, oh, freaking uh, Dante Motors uh, brought in a car that doesn't look like that was legal at the time. And guess what? They can audit then Dante Motors and they get your customer name. And actually, usually they can pull it from the broker anyways because there has to be a consignee on there, which is the destination essentially where the car is going to end up. So they don't even have to go through your dealer. So if anyone from customs, which is always investigating, uh, goes through a broker that maybe doesn't have the most up and up dealings, I mean, that place is closed down because I'm telling you the fines are insane and they can very well they have your name and address so i mean listen it's a small percentage still but it's a percentage you should always know it so for any of you that are thinking like man there's got to be some ways around there just isn't there isn't a good way it's like at your own risk it's like people asking like oh, i want to get something without you know that if it has engine noise listen man it's at your own risk it could be a small thing it could be you know a huge thing but uh i mean same with getting these cars in that are just we'll say gray market. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to kind of get into, uh, get into a little more of a, of detail with that. But so in essence, and it's, it's a bummer, right? Cause Canada's 15 years, we're 25 and it doesn't look like that's going to change unless there was a strong lobby against it, because this rule I believe isn't any older than 1988, late eighties. And it's because it was lobbied to be pushed. Why? Because the the U.S. market uh, for vehicles was getting hurt greatly from people importing cars. There was a huge influx of people importing cars from Land Rovers to stuff for work, postal things. I mean, you name it. People were importing a ton of cars. I had no idea, but apparently it was a big thing in the late 80s. And, um, and it was putting a huge dent into U.S. dealers. So... Uh, and I've read this before, and uh, I don't know who else was involved, but I know the company that spearheaded it, uh, and hey, sorry if you're Euro fans out there, but uh, Mercedes-Benz uh, took some of the biggest hits, tangible hits on their market, and they came to find out that it was due to importing of vehicles, because people, I mean, again, it's, you have the difference between a monopoly in, a, uh, in an open market, and that company is going to want to squash it because then all of a sudden people have uh, people have options, right? And they were able to get vehicles in, uh, even being other Mercedes for much less from different countries. So, uh, so it was hurting our local market. And listen, there's two sides to that. I mean, I think we can all, as JDM lovers, be like, that is such bullshit. Freaking Euro company, Mercedes, just learn to make 
But listen, there's two sides for that. You know, they were doing things on the up and up and people were finding a workaround to save some money. You know, so there's two sides. I, I'm still upset about it. I'm upset that the law could be changed just by a company getting big enough to lobby and to get this change and this restriction. Uh, that part I don't like, but I, you can see it. You can see a little bit from both sides. But um, but anyway, so yeah, there was... Um, there was a big push. They let it. There were some other manufacturers, but uh, essentially in 88 when they passed the law that uh, to protect those dealerships, that uh, cars had to be 25 years or older. And then that uh, protected from the new car sales. Because I think that's what was bas was really getting marked up was the new cars. Uh, you know, being able to get something, I don't know, in China, in Europe for, uh, for less than like a, a new Mercedes would be here. You know, and and there's other, you know, if you do, if you kind of fall down the rabbit hole, I've read some other uh, interesting articles about exporters, you know, exporting cars here to other countries that uh, will pay way over what the sticker is and um, and similar rules getting put in place to put them under and huge fines. So, I mean, basically, Border Patrol is no joke. Um, and once they pass these laws, it's a. Uh, Put it this way this is this is kind of a good example if if i as a licensed broker direct you to classify your car part under something different so maybe say there's 10 classifications for suspension parts right and say one of them is a cheaper duty rate for your duty tax you have to pay duty on anything you bring in uh i can be fined ten thousand dollars not up to I'll, I will be fine if they find out that I directed, if there's any written documentation, or even if you report this or someone audits you or something, and it gets back to me, $10,000 fine. The only saving grace is they cap it at 30,000. So if you do it six times, you're still only cap, you're still only at 30 grand. But uh, that's, that's how serious it is. And that's why I kind of wanted to convey this, give a little more of an insight as to why this came up. I mean, it wasn't just some random law that they forgot about. It was lobbied against in the late 80s because of the dent that it put into the uh, US dealers and because of the competition essentially it opened up of having a world market uh, that they didn't want on newer vehicles, you know? So, and that's why we kind of struggle with it now. Um, the good news is 25 year old cars now getting into like the early 90s are not made that bad, you know, and usually in decent shape. And as we just get further and further along, I mean, we love these cars, you know, uh, would we love to have R34s now? Absolutely. You know, and S15s and when the market would the market definitely be better on them if we did have them and had access? Yeah, you wouldn't have to pay nearly as much. But, you know, um, but again, and listen, there's exceptions to every rule. You can bring a car in, but only as a business, and it has to be there's uh, it has to be for marketing reasons only. Restriction on mileage, you can't sell it, uh, you can't register it for, for sale or anything like that. So, yes, if you have a business and you have a broker that can make a case, now you do have to submit and hope they approve. And this is after you get the car in there. So if they don't approve, you have to ship it back. You have to export it immediately. Uh, so. There is, but I mean, they, they will, if, uh, if you're a legit business and you're just using it for, uh, for marketing and you don't have any history, uh, they can also, you know, research your moral character. They can make a decision based on that, uh, with prejudice. Uh, absolutely. They actually have it highlighted in their, uh, in their books. So, so I've, yeah, I thought that was interesting. I mean, they can, uh, 
even for for this they uh, they assign someone if I pass the test to uh, to review my moral character which takes up to six months where they interview people and see if I'm of good moral character that I'm gonna not uh, skirt around the law so I mean it's serious stuff I think that's why there's so few people doing this uh, and it's why I want to do it to uh, to eliminate these articles I've heard of companies closing that have brought in cars that were disassembled that's old news or bringing in cars that are classified differently to save on duty or classified to save on the 25 year roll or brought in for marketing and then worked around to resell in Florida or whatever it is or another popular thing is bringing them into Canada and getting a temporary uh, I forget the name of it but where you can essentially bring it over here but then you have to take it back to Canada every year uh, that's kind of a workaround, but if they find out, they can also impound it if they find out that you have a, a permanent address here and no permanent address in Canada or dual di di uh, citizenship. So, man, that was... <laughs> but anyways, let me know if you have questions about that. I wanted to share, obviously I'm geeked out, I'm neck deep in like all of these regulations and stuff, and I just, I find it fascinating and I, you know... When you start to uncover why more of where where this stuff stemmed from, it, it makes it more interesting, I think so. Uh, so we understand what we're doing, not just following like blind sheep. So um, yeah, that's the 25 year rule. So uh, so we got that my license. I'm excited for. So and you know, so I was looking there. There is really some. Uh, there's not much new in the in the pipeline for for JDM cars right now, you know. I think uh, I've mentioned it before. I think a slept on is the uh, Celica or Celica, depending on where you guys live. Uh, you know, now we're running into the uh, uh, it's the ST two hundred five two ten with the with the four. This is, see, I run off the cuff. I try to like exercise my brain. I could add some notes here, but it's the, I think it's the 205 with the four headlights or the 210, correct me. But either ways, um, so those are legal now. And I think uh, again, uh, this time of year, I think they're the best buy. They've really dropped down. I think you can get one, uh, you can get one wholesale for, I don't know, anywhere from five to 8,000, you know? So, and then costs on top of that, and this is something to always keep in mind, and I can break it down, uh, but that really would take another 20 minutes. I don't want to extend this podcast too long because your time is valuable. But uh, I would always, I was, I would always break in another uh, at least three grand on top of whatever the wholesale is because you're going to have to pay auction fees. So that is the person that's bidding on it, that's doing the pictures, the export documentation, all of that stuff, uh, transport to the transport to the. Um, uh, drawing a blank, the place with the boats. So the domestic shipping, uh, you know, in Japan to the port, Jesus, to the port. And, uh, <laughs> I need to get some lunch. Uh, so, you know, you need to pay for that. You need to pay for any kind of cleaning or whatever your country, uh, needs, uh, steam cleaning. If they find anything that needs rectified. So, um, so you have that, you have the export, then you have the shipping, which shipping, depending on the size car, and I see quotes all over the place. As with most companies, don't blame any of them. It's another place for markups and opportunities just to kind of gain a little profit margin. Uh, but realistically, you know, shipping is going to be anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500, uh, 1, depending on row row, they do cubic meters. So it depends on the size. And that could 
greatly vary. So some smaller cars, yeah, a grand. Usually that's that's like bottom, like pretty much flat. Uh, I haven't seen less than that. And this is real real figures, not just markups or anything that I'm making up. So a thousand for something smaller, even some like midsize or you know arc sevens, whatever. Uh, some midsize sedans, it'll be like you know twelve hundred ish. But uh, there's usually a pretty big jump when you get to like a, like a Land Rover or a Defender or something like that, especially keep in mind if they have lift kits, it's cubic meter. So the higher it is, doesn't matter. We're not talking the interior space. We're talking the overall footprint, counting the air. So a uh, four-inch lift kit will add a lot. So, And I've seen some of those in their rare occasions. We're talking the monster truck ones. that will be like 1700 But I think on the high-end, 15 So 1000 to 1500 you're paying your auction fees, which... Uh, uh, like for me, since I, I have a relationship, uh, it doesn't cost me, and this is like unlimited inspection, unlimited um, translation, a uh, thousand bucks, like 900 bucks it costs me uh, for that service and to get the exporting and get it to the port. So all of that, and that's what I pass on to my customers. So anyone that uses me, that's what they get. Now, if you signed up externally for that, the guy I use only works with businesses, but some of the other ones, I've seen anywhere from like twelve to fifteen hundred dollars, you know, which you have to pay. And some of them make you pay up front before you even do anything. And some will charge you on the back end for extra stuff. So just be mindful of that. Um, And listen, if you're in the process or thinking of it, I don't care if you're my customer or not, or if you want to use me or not. If you just have a question like, hey, I was looking at Japan Partners and like, what is this? What are really realistically the fees? Uh, because a lot of times it'll just show kind of the value of the car and then shipping and then you don't have anything else factored in as far as getting it there exporting it so uh shipping you know a thousand fifteen hundred uh and you do have to have bonds and you have to pay a broker uh so brokers will charge you know uh say 150 for a uh single use bond so that's just to get the car in. They'll charge you like $60 to file an ISF and then some various charges for uh, for different, uh, for submission and clearance and all that stuff. So uh, the cheapest I've found out there, and again, cheapest isn't always the best, is like the $300 range. Some will charge 650. You know, uh, there's some out there. Yeah, so like in that range, but factor it in. So then you're gonna have to pay that. And then on top of that, uh, you know, duty tax when it comes in two and a half percent, and uh, there's also port handling fees and things like that. So, uh, and some some brokers will factor that in. So maybe the six hundred dollar one that's the most expensive isn't because they factor in the port handling fee, the duty tax, all of that, and then some it's all itemized. So get just get things broken down and itemized. But I'm gonna round things for you. I think three grand is safe. Uh, a little bit more, a little bit less sometimes, but whatever the car costs, throw three on top of it. That's what you're going to be into it for. That's what you're going to be in getting stateside here, federally legal. Now, and then it's an extra thing. You're going to have to pay state tax on it once you go to register it at home. And this is something that sometimes creeps up on people because you're like, well, I just paid duty. That was to get in the country. So just think of it as two borders you have to cross. The border of the United States, duty tax, the border of Kentucky, wherever you live, state tax. So listen, it adds up. It adds up a lot. And again, this is this is where that margin between bringing something in yourself and buying something out of an inventory starts to get close, you know, because when you're buying out of inventory, there's some things that, uh, that just cost me less than they will cost you, just factually. Uh, so, you know, and, and I'm one that likes to pass that on. So 
So yeah, I think that's kind of a, it's a good cost breakdown. I wanted to at least give an overview, but uh, but yeah, man, I I think that uh, I think right now, uh, you know, if you're looking, my recommendation always with cars. So just uh, let's close out with cars real quick. If you're looking at cars, there's certain cars that are not going to drop. A GTR, if you want one and you think they're too expensive now, they will be more next year and they will be more the year after. So if you want one now, get one now. If it's too expensive, I don't know what to tell you. Hopefully you can find one that someone imported that maybe needs some love and some work and you can get stateside here. But uh, everyone's well aware of the market. It's just going up and up. You know, things that aren't going to fluctuate much are going to be like the uh, the all-wheel drive cars, you know, like the, the Celica and the Pulsar and, you know, WRX, Lancer, uh, even though they're very hard to find clean because a lot of them are just rusted out because they came from up north. Let's remember up north there is like up north in the States here, salt, snow, rust, facts, you know, but um, yeah, in cars that have been holding, RX-7s, I still think are a good buy. So if you're looking at an FD, uh, uh, an FCs have actually kind of backed off a little bit. So yeah, I've just been looking at the data with uh, with FDs. I mean, they've been since, actually, whoa, oh man, this is almost perfect. So since like February 9th of last year to now, um, I haven't seen much change, you know? I think the price for an FD type R, uh, you know, in like decent shape, like a three and a half grade, four grade would be nice, but personally, I think four grades are overrated uh, much times. And, uh, you know, fairly stock. I mean, yeah, you're gonna be in the low, low teens, low teens wholesale. And then again, you know, you figure, you know, three, three or so grand getting it over and, you know, buying it from a dealer, it should be around 20, you know. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think that's, uh, and, and they're pretty much looking now. They're pretty much the same. Uh, same with Sylvia. Sylvia's haven't really changed. So some things that are going to be popping up. Ninety-five next eh, production-wise, pretty close is like um, Integra Type R's. So when those become available, if you're a Honda head, I'd get on those as soon as possible. And really, I'm thinking of uh, getting some and storing them, so I can store cars over overseas so you can buy them whenever i can buy a car that's not legal for five years right now as long as i don't export it for five years uh but those are the car i think the, you, you buy when you can even if you have to pay some storage fees it's worth it because when those are legal uh just i mean let's look at the u.s market it's crazy for them to find a clean one and uh there's there's a decent amount over there i don't want to say it's not going to be like the market's going to get flooded and there's going to be so many there's not, there's not going to be many. There'll be more than you can find on Auto Trader currently in the States, but it, there's not going to be a crazy amount, which is going to drive prices up as soon as they're legal. So, but um, yeah, yeah. And everything else, like I said, is, is pretty much, you know, the K cars, Auto Zams took a big bump and they're kind of leveling off. So I think they're, you know, if you're into K cars, they're about the same and all the other ones kind of stay around the same the Figaro that everyone was into there's a ton of those in the states there's a ton uh overseas those haven't really changed much and uh in trucks so um yeah this is actually we're getting into the season where if you're looking for a four by four uh this is probably a good buying time because they're going to start dropping I've even noticed that like land cruisers uh discoveries 
things like that have started to level off and drop. So if you're looking at those, I think this is a good time. You get in time for spring and the market's not, you know, when it's snowing, they're just worth more over there. You know, it's just how it is. And uh, yeah. Oh, oh, and as far as the, uh, man, uh, another good buy, man, Chasers, Tours, uh, Mark Twos or Chasers, you know, uh, the JZX90s, whatever chassis you enjoy of those uh, are a really good buy now. I, they are just not, if you're looking to resale it, not so much, but if you want to, if you like them, you want a 1J and a four-door, uh, they, they are a good buy right now. They, they kind of peaked, the five speeds, you know, uh, are definitely about two grand more on average than the autos. Uh, keep in mind, it's pretty easy to source parts. Like the transmission they use is pretty commonly used in some cars in the States and easy to import even if, uh, even if you can't, but, um, they're a good buy. They've, they've really leveled off. I think, uh, I think you can be into one, uh, automatic, you know, anywhere from like nine to, you know, like nine, 10 grand. Uh, and then I think, you know, throw like two on top of that for a first stick, you know, uh, I think you could be in the low teens, like one with a lot of, they vary a lot in the ones with some nice mods, like you might, wholesale might be like 13 to 15, but um, they're just, they're a great buy right now. I'm telling you, they just, if you're in a four door drift cars, man, it's a good time. It's a good time. And who knows, like, like with anything else, I mean, we're one Hoonigan video away or one viral video until it changes. Because really, that's what it does, especially with JDM cars. You know, it'll really cause a shake in the market just based on like uh, visibility. You know, people will see some like I guarantee, I guarantee if someone made a really cool rally video with a Pulsar GTIR, they would go right back up to where they were a couple years ago because they have really bottomed out. No, there's really none I can find for sale. Uh, there's not much at the auction, but when they do come up, they're way cheaper than they used to be. And there's just not much demand. And I'm like, man, if someone made a cool rally cross video or something with a pulsar or just showed it having fun in a proper way, I think they'd go back up, you know, at least, uh, at least stateside here. But anyways, uh, yeah, so that's my wrap on cars. Just kind of, uh, let's say an information dump kind of real time thing. Cause I track and I do all this and I want to provide for those of you that don't really care about the ins and outs of my business, that don't really care about uh, federal regulations and all that history, uh, I want to give something to you too. I mean, this is a car talk uh, channel, so you know, let's talk cars a little bit. Uh, and if there's anything, as always, uh, to close it out, if there's anything you want to hear about that I haven't spoke about, uh, if there's any feedback you have, good, bad, and different, I welcome it all, and uh, and I listen, and I promise I'll try to respond. But if I miss you, call me out. I'm fine with that. Call me out on anything. I'm all good. It just makes me better. So what am I? I don't want people to just send me roses, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, I've been getting a lot of good feedback. Uh, obviously, I, I, I hope to get more of these up uh, or at least more frequently, but uh, I'm doing what I can, guys. It's, uh, you know, juggling uh, the detailing, um, elusive auto code, the importing, and then uh, studying for this uh, this exam. It's It's a full plate, you know? And, and I have a family too, so that's that's something, you know. And listen, I always I always have to put them at top. They are always paramount uh, in my life. But um, man, I uh, yeah, I welcome it all. It's it's an exciting time. I'm gonna keep you uh, keep you posted. Like I said, as always, transparently for the ride, you know, because uh, 
It's helpful for me. Hopefully it's helpful for you. Uh, you can find me, Elusive Auto Co., all social media. Great way to get a hold of me. Or email me directly, Dante at ElusiveAutoCo.com. E L U S I V E. And uh, yeah, hit me up. I look forward to hearing from you out there. And uh, keep tuned in because I think I, I'm going to send, uh, I'm going to do like another giveaway. Hopefully, it has a bigger turnout than last time. But uh, I appreciate your time. Thanks for the listen. Enjoy the drive. Peace.